All right, we are back in Matthew chapter 18, looking at the second half today. And chapter 18 of Matthew is powerful. Even as uh, we've broken it up into sections, uh, doing the first half last week and now the second half, there's still so much to it. And even as I was putting uh, this Bible study together, I just thought, man, there's just, it's just so rich. And I think it isn't so much like there's tons of details that need to be brought out. But I find for myself, Matthew 18 is one of those chapters that you read through it and it's just like so much conviction. <laughs> that it's, it's heavy. There's serious things that uh, are coming up here. And, and for me, it's the second half as we get into the subject of forgiveness that has a very, uh, very real place in my heart. Uh, years ago, the Lord took me on this journey of learning what forgiveness really is. And uh, up until that point, I thought it was a pretty easy thing, right? You just, whatever somebody owes you, whether it's respect or kindness or money or whatever it is, if you want to forgive it, you just decide what that is and just forgive it, right? And uh, then the Lord took me on this journey of what it actually means. And it's a, it's a lot harder than that. So... <laughs> And, and really, it's, we, so keeping the whole chapter in mind is a little bit hard because we looked at the first half last week, but it's this, it's this natural progression. And I love the way the Lord does that so often uh, in Scripture where it's, He just kind of anticipates what we're going to be asking, what, what our thoughts are on what the things that He's already said. So in the first half of the chapter, the disciples came to Him and asked who the greatest was in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, speaking of themselves is what they were really asking. Which of the 12 is, is your favorite? And, and he takes a child and says, unless you are changed, unless you're transformed and become like this child, you won't even enter heaven. And, and so he doesn't tell them who the greatest is to start with. He tells them this is the bare minimum of requirements, that you would have the faith and the humility. And humility is really the thing that Jesus points to, the humility of a child. That's where it begins, right? And, and for us, that is where it begins. And we're going to find that this chapter continues to circle back to the need for that humility. Now, Jesus goes on from there to speak about conflict. But even that is in the light of humility, that we would be those not seeking to prove ourselves right or prove someone else wrong or put them in their place, but that we're seeking reconciliation from a place of, of humility, of honesty, of who we are in the Lord. And, uh, and he gives some great detail about that. First, you go to them, just you and them alone. You're not going with a group. You're not going with a, a bunch of people to corner them. It's just you and them. And if they hear you, you've won your brother back. If they don't hear you, well, then it's time to go with people that have seen the same things, right? That there's a, a witness to the, the same wrong that's been done or the same type of wrong that's been done. And if they won't hear them, then it's time to take you to the church or the church leadership and go, look, this is an issue. This is a problem. This is causing division. And, and if they won't hear the church, then the instruction is to treat them as a non-believer. And, th and that isn't to say to, to throw them out or to, to you know, somehow you know, make them an outcast. The idea is that it, it, they're not in a place of leadership. They're not someplace where they can do harm. And just like we would treat a non-believer, we're hoping for repentance. We're hoping for reconciliation. We're hoping that the Lord's going to have their way in their life, right? That's how we approach or should approach a non-believer. And so 
Now, if they are doing harm, if they are causing division, unfortunately, sometimes there's the place, too, that they have to be removed from the body. And that's, that's the worst situation. But the, again, the idea, this whole progression that Jesus lays out is, is for the purpose of repentance and reconciliation. But again, this natural progression. And we're going to find that Peter asked the question that everyone would ask in that same situation. We're talking about conflict. We're talking about forgiveness. So how many times do I have to forgive someone? What if it's a real difficult thing they've done? What if it's a real hurtful, personal thing that they've done to me or to someone I love? How much do I need to forgive? Where, where are the limits to forgiveness? What if they don't even ask for forgiveness? What if they never repent? What if they don't deserve it? These are all the questions we ask. And, and Jesus gives us the answer to all of this in the second half of chapter 18. So let's pray, and we'll get into it. Lord, how we want to learn from you how to forgive, how to be a light in the darkness and be a real example of your love. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd speak your word into our lives, into our hearts, individually and as a church today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So starting in verse 21 of chapter 18, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and, that all, and all that he had, and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will repay you all. Then the master of the servants was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him his debt. This is a, again, powerful parable that Jesus tells here. And, and, and Peter's question makes a lot of sense. I think all of us would ask it at some point when it comes to conflict and forgiving. And it's just very practical for us to think that, like, okay, what are the limits of forgiveness? When don't I need to forgive somebody, right? At least that's how I think. I don't know. You guys probably don't. But uh, again, the idea that, you know, we want to reconcile. We want things to go well. We want to win back our brother or our sister into that relationship. Uh, and really in the day, this was a common debate among the rabbis of, of what are the limits of, of forgiveness. And the real generous ones. It was, it was pretty well common, the idea was that three times. If somebody wrongs you, you need to forgive them three times. And after three, you're done. And, and we go, well, okay, uh, that sounds all right. But if, if we're honest about ourselves, it's, it's usually only once or twice. Somebody wrongs us once, and we're like, oh, hey, I don't know about that. Twice, we're like, done with you. you know. And that's, that's it. And so three times... 
was, was the common thought, Peter probably thought that he was being pretty generous when he said seven. Up to seven times, Lord? And he probably was waiting for everyone else to go, oh, seven, that's a lot. <laughs> but Jesus blows them all away, whatever their thoughts were, whatever they were considering. In verse 22, he says, I do not say to you seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, again, if you take that literally, the, the idea is, well, okay, forgive up to 490 times, and then the time after that, you don't have to forgive them. But that's, that's really not what's being said. Uh, in the most basic sense, the idea is it's, it's a number you're go- not going to be able to keep track of. Something so far out there that nobody's going to keep track of, of 490 times. But it's even more than that because when it comes to the Jewish mindset, numbers are important. Numbers have great meaning. And, and the number seven is the number of completion, right? It's seven days in a week. Seven seals upon the scroll. Um, and so the number seven is, is with the idea of completion. And, and really, so to some degree, what Peter's question is, is when is my obligation to forgive complete? What, what is the seventh time that completes it, right? And Jesus' answer isn't, it isn't when your obligation to forgive is complete, it's when forgiveness is complete in you. It's when 70 times 7 is the perfect completion of forgiveness within you. Ah, oh, darn it. That means it's never complete. It means there is no finish line. There isn't a time where I'm released of my obligation to forgive. Uh, it's until it is complete. And again, I think the question that we ask is, so does that mean we just let people walk over us? That we just keep on taking it and taking it and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and, and, and putting a Christian smile on our face when it's killing us inside? No, that is also not what Jesus is saying here. Uh, that's not the point. It's really not what's being addressed, but I think it is important that we kind of uh, touch on that a little bit. Jesus has already been talking about how to deal with conflict well and in a godly way. And at no point does he just say, well, let's just let them walk over the top of you. You know, he's, he's saying, look, you go to them, you go to with a witness, you go to take it to the church, and at some point you do have to keep people at a distance to treat them as a non-believer. You're not letting them into the deepest parts of your heart. You're certainly not putting them in a place to do harm to others, right? So Jesus has already talked about that. When it comes to us personally, I think we need to be careful that we are not putting somebody in the place to do harm again. We can forgive them, whatever wrong it is, be free of that. But we're making a mistake if we put them in the place to do that exact same thing again or to harm other people, right? We're actually enabling their sickness. We're putting them in a place of temptation to do wrong. And so we need to be careful. The importance of what Jesus is saying here is about us forgiving them. But in no way does that mean we become a walking mat for the world or enable people to do harm. He wants us to face conflict well. And let forgiveness have its perfect work in our hearts. I think one of the hard parts when it comes to forgiveness is realizing it may not change them at all. That just because I ask 
God to forgive them, and I forgive them personally, they may not change a bit. And, it, and it's heartbreaking because we're hoping that the power of forgiveness will, will do its work. And sometimes it does. But unfortunately, many times it does not. Um, one of the things that causes us to withhold forgiveness. And, and to me, that's, that's always the struggle, right? The question isn't whether or not forgiveness is the right thing to do. The question is, is do I want to do it? <laughs> that it, it's very difficult. Uh, and it, it's a hard thing. And in no way do I want anyone to think that the Lord is making light of it or that I'm making light of it. Like I said, I, I went on a long journey of needing to forgive somebody. And, and it was years, like peeling an onion, one, one layer at a time. And each time I think, oh, there it is. And nope, there was a, something way deeper. Right? And, and I've, I've, I've cringed many times when I've heard people teach or even talk about forgiveness. And if they see it as being a light thing, I think it's very damaging to the people who are struggling with forgiveness, right? Like I said, you kind of run it off like a formula. Oh, just, just forgive them. You know, whatever debt they have, just erase it in your mind and, and it's done. When, I, when we first moved here to, the, to Hawaii, I remember talking with this guy who had made his entire career on the sea. And he'd been on sailboats, he'd been on merchant ships, he'd been all over the world. And he was telling me a little bit about this. And I threw out this thing randomly trying to be a part of the conversation of like, you know what? I don't get seasick. And he looked at me right in the eye and said, that's because you've never been to sea. And I found myself shocked, going, he's right. I have no idea what I'm talking about. And it's the same thing when someone goes, you just need to forget. You've never been in the place where somebody's broken your heart so badly, taken so much advantage of you, been out to destroy your life and your family. You've never had to forgive that kind of debt. And so... Again, as we approach the subject of forgiveness, know that personally, I've walked this road. And that we need to be careful when we talk to others about it. That we need to have compassion upon the struggle that they're having. Now, the formula is the same. The answer is the same. But we need to be coming from a place of compassion as we encourage others to forgive. Again, we, when we're in that place, we want to withhold forgiveness. And I think one of the things that justifies that in our, to ourselves is that going back to, we think we're great in the kingdom of heaven. We, we're like the 12 going, Lord, which, which one of us do you like the best? We're pretty great, but who's the best, right? And if we think we're great, if, we're think, if we think we're something in the kingdom of heaven, then we start looking around going, what's wrong with all these other people? I don't know if they're worthy of my forgiveness. Because we're comparing ourselves horizontally to one another, it's easy to, to justify a lot in our own lives. But in this parable and in our lives, we are not to compare horizontally, but vertically. Who am I compared to the king? And when we do that, we realize we are in horrible debt. 
Now, as this parable is laying this out, again, if we look at it and go, Lord, how many times have you forgiven me? Not just the day of my salvation, but since then. All the times I'm like, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm doing it anyway. And then later we're going, Lord, I'm so sorry. This will be the last time I ever do that. And we do it again. And we say things we shouldn't. We do things we shouldn't. And we are continually going back for forgiveness again and again and again. So that's the forgiveness he shows to us. And each time we find it fresh and new, he's waiting to forgive us. But yet we withhold it from others. Right? And that's part of the human condition. That's part of our sin nature. We want love. We want forgiveness. But we aren't so good at giving it back out to others. And so in this parable, verse 23 says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now again, just as in almost all the parables, these are very common things in that day. So he's not really drawing a picture of a Hebrew type of culture, or he's not speaking of a Hebrew king. He's pointing to the kings of the world. Uh, so this parable would make a lot more sense if we understood the difference between the Roman world and the Hebrew world, but he's pointing to the things of the Roman world. And it was common for somebody, even just landowners, sometimes to have servants that were financial stewards. These were the people they bought and they sold and they made investments, and, and it was all on behalf of the master or the landowner, or the king, whoever it might be. And so this was something that they all understood. And in this case, he's speaking of somebody who has spent a ton of money and has made nothing back. And so the king would call in his, his financial stewards to give an account for all that they had done. And they could come in and go, oh, well, I bought a whole herd of horses, or I bought some land for you. I did. There was something to show for what they had invested. This guy has nothing. And the amount of money that he has spent, 10,000 talents, is now his debt. He owes the king because it was the king's money that he had invested and has nothing to show for it. That's a lot of money. And there are different ways that you could measure it. So a talent is not a, a super exact weight, especially when you're talking about that much of it. And we also aren't sure, is it talents of gold, talents of silver, at the bare minimum, if you looked at it in modern money, the minimum of what he's talking about is $12 million. At the high end, it's over a billion. Either way, when Jesus said that amount of money, it would have caused people to gasp. It, it would have been shocking. And the idea is that a servant, no servant anywhere in the world, would ever be able to pay that debt. Not an entire lifetime would even come close to it. That's the idea. That's the importance of it. We need to understand that this is a massive, crushing debt without ever having the hope of payment. That's the point of this parable. And if you miss that, you just go, oh, we owed some money. You're missing the whole thing. This was a, an amount that could never be paid in his lifetime. Verse 25 says, but as he was not able to pay his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and that payment be made. This is the worst case scenario for anybody living in that day. 
Because it isn't just him owing the debt. It is everyone he loves and cares about are now being sold into slavery. Lost for a lifetime. And that's the idea. Again, this isn't the Hebrew idea of slavery, which was much more like a contract. It lasted seven years, and in the seventh year, you were set free. That's not what this is talking about. That, again, you try and put yourself there. That you and everyone you love get sold into slavery and moved off into every direction of the known world. You will never see them again, and they will never be free ever again. And it's your fault. Massive. I mean, huge, huge event and the worst possible scenario. And on top of that, the idea of selling everybody into slavery and all that he had isn't about repayment. It's about punishment. Because in that day, it was a very, very rare thing that a slave would ever be sold for as much as one talent. It was common for a quarter to a half of a talent per person. So again, think about that. The, whoever is in his family, however many people that might be, and all that he has is just a fraction. It doesn't even come close. It's not a drop in the bucket to what he owes. This is punishment. This is to send a message to everybody else. Now, the king knows this. And the servant knows this as well. So verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before the master and uh, fell down before him. Master, have patience with me and I will repay you all. No, he won't. No amount amount of patience will give him the ability to pay back this debt. And he, it's just the, the, a plea. It is a sad plea in the face of this horrible, crushing debt. But he knows he can't. And the king knows that he can't. And yet because of all of that, the king shows him mercy. The, key, the master knows that he doesn't need patience. He doesn't need to be shown patience. He needs to be shown forgiveness. Because his life isn't enough to pay it back. The life of all of his children and his wife are not enough to pay back the debt that he owes. All that he will ever possess is not enough. Sounds like another debt we know of, right? The debt of our sin we could never pay back. And then the master, verse 27, then the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him, and forgave him his debt. Now, if we stopped right there, what a beautiful picture of the love of God. The king that we owe this debt to. A crushing, overwhelming debt, and no way ever in our lifetime could we ever pay it back. Even if others were to attempt to pay our debt, they can't. No amount of wisdom or teaching or ideas. No sacrifice that any human could ever make. If all humanity band together to pay one person's debt, they still couldn't do it. It requires the forgiveness of the king. And and again, what a great picture this is of the character and the love of God. And take it even further, because he didn't just erase our debt. God didn't just go, you know what, let's just just pretend like sin never happened. Done. 
erase from the, the account books. He didn't just dismiss it. He paid for it himself. He paid the debt I owed. And again, that's a huge difference between just waving his hand and saying it's gone and saying, no, I'll pay that debt on his behalf. Now, again, all of this would be, if we stopped right there, would just be a fantastic picture of the, the character, the love, and the mercy of God. But it goes on, and unfortunately, the rest draws the picture of who we are. So verse 28 says, But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him. He took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they went, excuse me, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you have not have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I also had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. And so my heavenly Father also will do to you each do if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Yeah, an intense parable for sure. And we would like to think that when great compassion is shown to a person that it would infect their lives to show compassion to others. Again, sometimes it does. But then there are the other times it doesn't. And I think this is one of the key points that we understand. We'll touch on it again more as we go on. But there's, there's something that's a disconnect here. That this great forgiveness is shown and it doesn't take hold in this person's heart. And I think we understand it to some degree that, again, there is that disconnect that we have where we want this certain relationship with God. We want to receive love. We want to receive forgiveness. We want to be understood. And we, we want that from people as well, right? We want others to understand us, even in our faults. We want to find mercy. We want to find forgiveness. But it doesn't flow out with as much ease. In this case... If you'd asked this guy immediately after, what do you think of the king? Oh, he would have been, oh, the king's great, man. He, he, he released me from this huge debt. He forgave me. Love it. Just love him. Love it all. And a lot of times, if you talk to people, and you, what do you think about God? Oh, I love God. God's great. Man, he's forgiven me so much. He blesses me. What do you think of people? Can't stand them. Don't have anything to do with them, Right? Should not be that way. <laughs> um, 
that if, in fact, we've received that forgiveness, it should change us. It should change our spiritual DNA. When, when we understand the great debt that was ours, that, again, not only did he forgive, he, he paid. And when that truth really takes residence within us, it should change us at the very basic level. And we don't see this change in this guy. In fact, he goes out immediately after being forgiven. He finds somebody that owes him a uh, hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii is still a fairly large debt. It's about three months' wages. Um, but compared to what was just forgiven him, you know, whatever you want to visualize as being three months' wages, compare that to twelve million to over a billion dollars. It's again dropping the bucket. And he laid hands on him. He took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. Now, it's interesting to me that the same plea that he had just spoken to the king is what he hears now, only it has no, no meaning. Be patient with me. I'll repay you all. Nope. And he takes him and he throws him in the debtor's prison. Now, the debtor's prison was a catch-22. Again, it was one of those horrible situations. Because if you were thrown in the debtor's prison, you could be thrown in for really any amount. It could be an insignificant, small amount that you're thrown in. But once you're there, you have no ability to make money to pay your debt. So you might serve a life sentence in a horrible prison for a small amount. And in this case, three months' wages would be more than his family or anyone else would be able to step forward and pay. And so he puts him in that catch-22. No way for him to pay it back. Again, this isn't about being paid back. It's about punishment. This isn't about being, having things made right. It's putting them in their place. And again, it's a great picture of what we do with unforgiveness. No longer is it about making things right. I just want to punish you. I want you to pay. And we are going to see the horrible results of, of having that attitude. And again, comparatively, it's a small debt. That isn't to make light of horrible things we go through. It isn't to make light and say, again, there's terrible situations that, are, that people have to work long and hard to get through that forgiveness process. So we're not making light of any of those. But, man, there isn't anything a person can do to us that will compare to the debt that we personally have owed. Again, we, we want forgiveness from God. We want forgiveness from other people. But when it goes to flow out, we tend to want justice for everybody else. And when we don't think justice is enough, we just want punishment for everybody else that owes us. Though we've been forgiven of this crushing debt. And again, this brings us that comparison of the debt we owed compared to the offense that's been against us or the debt that's owed to us really answers the questions, things like, what do we do when they really hurt us? What do they do when what do we do when they don't repent or when we don't think they deserve it? 
Uh, it doesn't really matter what they do. It doesn't really matter how much they've done because I know I owe more. I know my debt is greater. And that I also know I am called to forgive. The reality of unforgiveness is devastating. And in my journey of, of learning about forgiveness, I remember there was a point where, well, give you a brief overview. There were many times along the way where I thought, okay, I know the situation and I'm willing to forgive it. And almost every time immediately after that, I would find out the situation was so much worse than what I realized. That there were so many more lies and deceptions and, and damage being done and continuing to be done even as I was attempting to forgive this person. And, and so inside me, there was this, this unforgiveness. You know, it was, it was this battle back and forth. And I can remember feeling like that, I couldn't even really put it into words, but I felt like this, this unforgiveness was like poison in my soul, and it was starting to come out in every direction from my life. It was just flowing out of every pore of my body that I could not contain the unforgiveness that was within me. And really, this is exactly how Jesus is describing it in this parable, that unforgiveness is a torturous prison. And there's two ways that we end up there. Now, the first is, and I think it's, it's what this is pointing to to some degree, is that the person has not been radically changed by the forgiveness of God. Oh, they like the idea of it. They want forgiveness. They want to be understood. They want their debt erased, but they're not changed by it. It hasn't converted them. They haven't been remade. And so, again, they'll say the things, they like the things that go along with it, but they are, honestly, they're not saved. The other thing, other second possibility we end up in this prison is that we are saved. But we choose misery over forgiveness. And it's our choice. It, it really is. And I guess that's, that's one of the things that, again, would be so great if we just hand this off or blame other people or I wouldn't act this way if they hadn't done these things or if they hadn't offended me in such a harsh way, then you know, however we justify it. But when it comes down to it, we choose whether or not we're going to start to walk this path to learn what unforgiveness and forgiveness really are. We find out the horrible prison <laughs> that we can choose to be in, or we can take the long road of healing to actually forgive. It doesn't take long for unforgiveness to become bitterness. And, and I think that's what I was experiencing, is that bitterness and anger like just flowing from my life. What I found interesting is that the very people I thought I was protecting, and that was a lot of how I justified my unforgiveness, was that, well, I need to keep that person out in their place so that they don't harm the people I love. But I was the one that was starting to harm the people I love. The bitterness had taken such a root in me. And that's exactly uh, what we're told about in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, 
lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this become defiled. That we defile the very people we're trying to protect by our own bitterness. And I have seen it, I saw it myself to be sure, but I have seen it in others. When bitterness takes root, it poisons us. It adds 20 years to a person. I've seen people age and, and they look 20 years older because of the bitterness that has just taken root in their life. It's also interesting that over the last, I don't know how many years, but a lot of studies have been done recently that shows the physical effects of bitterness and unforgiveness. It literally releases toxins into your system that causes you to age and, and decline mentally and physically. It is a torturous prison that defiles not only ourselves, but everyone around us. And again, we can think, well, right here it says that this is, you know, you know God punishing us. That uh, So in verse 35, so my heavenly Father will also do to you. But understand, he's already told us the way of freedom. He's already told us the way to escape this prison. Forgive. It's just a spiritual law that if I'm not allowing forgiveness to flow out of my life, it's not able to flow in either. And I'm the one that controls that flow, nobody else. I'm the one that holds the key to the prison that I've locked myself within to try and punish somebody else. And they may be completely unaware of it. So who's paying the price? I am. Again, all of this circles right back around to humility. To have that heart of a child. Lord, because you said it, I'm going to believe it. Even though it does not seem to make sense. Even though everything within me is fighting against it, saying, no, they don't deserve forgiveness. I'm not going to do it. No, Lord, I'm going to humble myself. And because you say it's important, because you've commanded that I forgive, and it is a command, this isn't a suggestion, then I'm going to walk this hard road with you to learn it. And to, to really forgive. Again, for myself, it was a, a long road. And if I'm being absolutely honest, I still can't stand that guy. <laughs> We're not best friends. I don't really care what he's doing. But he owes me nothing. And, and getting to that point was a long road. To know, Lord, I want you to bless his life. And I'm not going to be upset when you do. I want you to work in him and in his family and do good things. Bless him. Even though I still don't want to be around him, I do want God to bless him. He owes me nothing, and I want good things for his life. I think those are good things for us to understand that are the markers of I'm on the right track. Because for a long time, I'm like, okay, he owes me nothing. But bad things would happen to him. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's not the right attitude. Yeah. <laughs> and when you see good things happen, you're like, why are you blessing him? Don't you know who he is? You know? And instead going, no, Lord, it's okay. You bless him. He's yours to deal with. I don't have to worry about it. Set free from the prison. And that's the Lord's heart in all of this. Is that really in the parable... And if we apply directly, I feel like the Lord is just saying, I don't want you in this prison. 
I want you set free. And he never says it's easy. He never says it's fun. But he does say it is necessary. In multiple ways in this parable, it is necessary. It is a proof of our salvation. It's a proof that we have received that forgiveness and have been changed by it. And it is a testimony to those around us. One thing I saw in this parable that I'd never seen before is that it was those around this servant that saw his hypocrisy. Man. And we will talk about forgiveness. We'll talk about how much we love God. And they see when we do not forgive. And they see when we do not love. But the good news is they also see when it's real and we, when we do. All right, let's pray.